Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. All right, today we're going to do something pretty darn unusual. We're going to talk about something that we talked about only a couple weeks ago. We're going to revisit the capture of Ovidio Guzman. Even though, as I say, we talked about it only a couple of episodes ago. Now, you may be saying to yourself, why, Jack? Why would you do that? Well, here's why. When we talked about his capture, it had only just happened. Most of the information we had came from the Mexican government, right? They're the ones who had done the press conferences and the news releases and things. There was only a tad bit of social media information. And now, in the couple of weeks since then, new information has come out that, frankly, I found really interesting and thought might put our discussions regarding Los Chapitos and CDS and and things going forward in a different light. And so I wanted to talk about it now. And the reason I wanted to talk about it now is we know there's a high likelihood things are going to continue to happen in Mexico with respect to Los Chapitos, CDS, etc. And so when something happens in the next day, week, month, six months, I would like us to have this new information to be able to put those events into context as they happen, right? So that we can evaluate them, we can understand them as we're going forward. Right, we won't have to stop and reevaluate them. So I think it's really important. Now I, I'm going to repeat a little bit. Right, I think I have to repeat a little bit so that people who didn't listen to the first podcast or didn't listen to it very well um, can be up to speed. So bear with me. Not going to do a whole lot of that, but I want to do a little bit so that you know, again, so that everybody knows. Um. And then we'll talk about the new information and how to characterize it. So, who was Ovidio Guzman? Ovidio Guzman is one of the sons of El Chapo. As we know, El Chapo had a lot of kids. But generally speaking, there are four sons, four brothers, stepbrothers, half-brothers, who um, go by the name I shouldn't say go by the name, but are called or referred to as Los Chapitos. So we have a video Guzman Lopez, who we're talking about, who also goes by the name El Raton, the mouse, not the rat, the mouse. Then we have Ivan Archivaldo Guzman Salazar, Ivan. We have Jesus Alfredo Guzman Salazar, sometimes referred to as Alfredillo. And then there is Joaquin Guzman Lopez. Now, as we talked about before, interestingly enough, um, Alfred Dio is listed on the DEA's most wanted list. After Ovidio was captured, none of the remaining brothers, Ivan, Alfredio, Joaquin, none of them have active warrants in Mexico. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be arrested. doesn't mean that people aren't looking for them. But there are no active warrants for them. Um, as we'll talk about, the interrelationship between the four Los Chapitos seems to be a little bit 
murky at best, but all reports are that they're a pretty tight knit group. Okay. So we'll talk about that again as we go. Now, as for the raid, the raid was on January 5th, 2023, right? January 5th of this month. Now, here's what we were told. And this is going to be where we kind of repeat what we talked about in the last episode. So here's what we were told by the government. At about 4 a.m. on January 5th, they launched a military operation in uh, the Jesus Maria area of Culiacan. Apparently, people said that they started hearing gunfire at about 4.40 a.m. He was captured, extracted from the house and the area where he eventually was flown to Mexico City. Um, He is now being held at Antiplano, which is the main um, high-security prison outside of Mexico City. Um, extradition is in process, but has been delayed, uh, for all the normal reasons, right? We've talked about how that process works, especially with respect to El Chapo. Um, according to the Mexican government, the army or Sedena was the main military group in the operation, even though the Marines usually do that. Um, and, and that was kind of in the, the reports, right? Uh, and some of the early press reports talking about it. So that's, that's me repeating what other people have said. Um, Air Force and National Guard participated in the arrest. Helicopter gunships uh, apparently were used. Special Forces units from airborne divisions also participated in the capture. Told that 900 personnel were up were involved in the operations according to the government according to the government 10 soldiers were killed 35 wounded 19 sicarios killed and 21 arrested um the government said there were no reports of any civilian deaths and then lastly president um Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador said that no U.S. forces had assisted in Ovidio's capture. So when all that was done, you know, there there was the violence in Culiacan. There was violence in other places in Sinaloa. But um, that was kind of where we left things, right? As I say, since then, things have occurred. Now, what do we think might have really happened? A couple of caveats before we talk about this. Number one, fully acknowledging that some of this comes from social media. And I've selected what I'm going to repeat carefully, but I am not vouching for its authenticity. That's number one. Number two, some of this information, and I'll try to reference it directly when it comes up, comes from the Mexican journalist, Annabel Hernandez. Now, people who I've talked to in the past know that 
I have serious issues with Ms. Hernandez, in particular, her conversations with Rafael Caro Quintero. Remember, she had two interviews with him, and I felt, still feel, that they were weak, that there were no real questions asked, that they end up being more PR for Caro than anything else. That's my personal opinion. I'm not a journalist, but that's my opinion. Having said that, there is absolutely no question that Ms. Hernandez has amazing access and amazing sources. And for that reason, when she talks about what happened with respect to Ovidio's capture, when she puts that into her reports, I think it's something we have to pay attention to. Again, I cannot personally verify any of it, but let's talk about what she said, what else has come up, and we'll just kind of see how um, how we feel about that. So now, according to Ms. Hernandez, the operation to arrest Ovidio occurred in several phases. The first, she says, contrary to the official version, but in that first wave or phase of the arrest, members of the Navy Special Forces, specifically the Navy Special Operations Unit and the National Intelligence Center, participated. And according to this version, the operation began at 10 p.m. with a concentrated element of uh, naval personnel. Um, and one of the sources quoted in a report by Ms. Hernandez says, we knew nothing until 10 a.m. or till 10 p.m. They summoned us to Mazatlan, removed all the equipment, but we thought it was another matter. And when they say removed all, all the equipment, you know, that's all of, um, you know, all the, the phones and, and, and all those sorts of things. So then at approximately 2 a.m., the first actions began in Jesus Maria. And the location, according to Ms. Hernandez, was provided to the Mexican government by DEA agents in Mexico. And that should come as no surprise, right? No surprise whatsoever. We've seen that in the past. DEA finds out where these folks are, tells the Mexican government, and then crosses their fingers that the Mexican government does something with that information, does it in a timely fashion, and that there are no leaks. And apparently, that process has been working better recently, right? You've got... Carol Quintero, you had Tony Montana, you had have Ovidio now, there have been others. But again, going back to the, the, the recount of what actually happened, location provided by DEA. Now, there are reports that Ovidio's house had a series of 
guards and lookouts that I've seen, especially again in the social media, referred to as protective shields and different phrases or you know, uh, portions. So one report that, again, bears a lot of hallmarks of authenticity and inside knowledge said that there were something like 19 different levels of this protective shield. But what we think we know now is that he actually escaped. Okay, So you've got all this protective shield, which means that from Ovidio's house going outward, you basically have lookouts. You've got security all along the line. And so the idea that an operation could start, could get very close to Guzman is, you know, without being noticed is highly improbable. And according to reports, it didn't happen that way. In fact, Ovidio found out about it. And more importantly, he was able to kind of escape or get away from somehow evade the siege that had been set up in the neighborhood around his home. Again, a quote says he had already taken a lead of a few minutes when his protective shield was put into action, but his wife and daughters were trapped when the air firing of the aircraft occupied or used in the operation began. So one of the things that came out in some of the reports, especially the ones by Ms. Hernandez was rather than just helicopter warships, there were actually aircraft that were involved in this operation. I mean, this is pretty damn extensive. And so what happens, again, according to the witness cited by Ms. Hernandez, and I'm going to quote him directly, it is claimed that one of his daughters went into a nervous breakdown from the gunshots, and Adriana, Ovidio's wife, called Ovidio to tell him that their daughter was in a serious crisis. It is said that the son of El Chapo returned for them, and there they caught him, and that there were negotiations before he was actually taken into custody that they could take him, but they would leave his family, his wife and kids, safe and sound. Now, that's it, 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 that's kind of staggering to me. I mean, I think this is this is fascinating. And, and, you know, there are all kinds of stories. We can go back to Pablo Escobar and his family relationship. You can go and look at mafia members in, in the United States. I'm sure you, we can, you know, find stories about lots of other people. But let's think about this. You have a guy. I, Ovidio Guzman, one of Los Chapitos, you have a huge military operation, or at least a significant one, right, about to capture him. And he's escaped, but his daughter is having a nervous breakdown, and he goes back. He goes back, obviously, to try to get them, but he has to know that the likelihood of him going back, getting his wife and kids and leaving again and escaping that second time 
is improbable at best, and yet he does it. And then he negotiates for the at least temporary safety of his wife and children. Now, one of the other things that comes out is reports of how many deaths there were surrounding this operation. And um, Annabelle Hernandez is reporting or has reported that there were at least or close to, I think is the, the right word, 200 deaths in the operation, including at least 28 civilian casualties, which, of course, doesn't match with what the government said at all. Um, one of the gunmen who's quoted or at least referred to in Ms. Hernandez's reporting says, according to one of the gunmen that participated in the event, they counted at least between 60 and 70 of their own dead, um, not included, including soldiers um, or gunmen who were abandoned. Of, according to her report, again, a worker at a local funeral home also indicated there were at least 60 services sold to those who had died in the confrontation. Um, most of those were being documented as natural and nonviolent deaths for logical reasons. That actually, that last part with respect to the funeral home comes from a report in Borderland Beat. I want to give them credit for that. So that's what we think actually happened. Much more extensive operation than the government said. You have Navy special operations involved. You have DA, if not participating, at least providing the location for the arrest of of a video. Uh, You have far more casualties, particularly CDS casualties than had been reported, and also more um, civilian deaths than had been reported. So that's a pretty stark difference, don't you think? It's not surprising in any way, but it's, you know, it's significantly different. Immediately after the arrest and a video being flown to Antiplano, um, both... AMLO and Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Abrand, Abrard, sorry, uh, said, you know, look, extradition will go in the normal process. It's not going to be on a fast track. And, you know, it, it's going to take a little while. They're going to have to step through things. Um, and then shortly after that, the uh, Secretary of Security and Citizen Protection uh, Rosa Rodriguez explained that you know he also faces charges in Mexico for drug trafficking and uh, related um, firearms charges, and she noted there's also open investigations for organized crime. She suggested, at least indirectly, that it may be more proper for. Ovidio to face those charges in Mexico before any extradition to the United States occurred. Um, you know, keep in mind the um, extradition request from the United States initially was filed in t- 2019. Um, 
So, you know, the according to some folks, the United States had already started that process. And then in the weeks since, uh, the couple of weeks, has renewed the process. But as has happened with um, Rafael Caro Quintero, there's been stay, a stay on those proceedings by the Mexican judicial authorities. And so it's going to be a slow process to see whether and when he gets extradited. My guess is we're not going to know anything for a while. And frankly, we could wake up one morning and find out he's in L.A. or New York. Um, probably New York or, or D.C. Um, but we could find out he's been extradited and never know about it. We could also be talking about him two years from now. And he's still in Mexico and facing charges in Mexico. It's really hard to know. All right. What I want to do now for just a couple moments is think about what does his capture mean? And in particular, what does it mean in the context of this new information? If we assume that most of it is true, you know, that it was a bigger operation than we knew, that there were different forces involved than we knew, that... um more people were killed than we knew. What, what do we think this means? So what does it mean for Los Chapitos? Uh, again, you know, we've talked about the fact that everybody says, you know, that talks about this sorts of thing. It, it, all, all reports are they're a pretty tight unit, Los Chapitos. The four um, half-brothers are close. They're tight. They work together. Um, but having said that, there's really very little that we know about their individual roles. I've had several people reach out and say, look, Ovidio was a really important cog, but not a whole lot more than that. Insight Crime has said that um, their, what they call field work in Sinaloa, has suggested that Yvonne who is also reportedly the more violent of the four is kind of the overall leader. Um, but again, that's based on anecdotes more than anything else. And as we've said several times, you know, the plural of anecdote is not data. Um, some have speculated that a video's role was really one of the expansion that he had a large role along with Joaquin um, to start moving particularly methamphetamine and cocaine into the United States um, a long time ago. Um, he's also generally acknowledged to have been um, the leader of the operations to have Los Chapitos move more into Mexico City. So um, in July of twenty. 22, so last year, there were 14 people who were captured or arrested in Mexico City, and they all were wearing badges of a cartoon rat or a cartoon mouse. Apparently, most people think that was a reference to Ovidio, again, known as El Raton. 
Um, here are some interesting things. Let's think about this a little bit. One of the things that the amount of deaths and uh, wounded, other casualties of the CDS folks protecting Ovidio. One thing that shows is the absolute loyalty that they have to Ovidio and to Los Chapitos, and probably to their father, right? But there was no doubt, if you look at what happened, if you, you know, read just in, or think about just what I said about An- in Annabelle Hernandez's reporting, but if you, then if you look at other things and other anecdotes and stories about, you know, the people who died, who gave their lives willingly to protect Ovidio, there is a palpable sense of loyalty. Some of that can be attributed, I think, directly to their father, but they've really staked out a position of their own, a reputation of their own, and a loyalty of their own, which I think is is easily um, misunderstood. And it's highly unlikely that that support, that fidelity, is going to be significantly impacted by Ovidio's arrest. Um, But one of the things that I do find interesting is, remember, right after this happened, CDS put out a, a communication and said, hey, you've got 72 hours to release them. Or here's all the bad things that can happen, and we're going to start targeting government and military and citizens and all else. There was violence, and there clearly is some still recurring, but there hasn't been, at least to this point, a real significant pushback, and especially not outside of kind of the Kulikan area. What does that mean? Does that have any does that say anything about this loyalty and fidelity we talked about? Does it say anything about the reaction to the casualties? Does it say anything about CDS's changed perception of the government? And by that I mean if this operation was as extensive as is being reported. If there were gunships, if there were gun, you know, manned aircraft, um, you know, high caliber weapons, large groups of military from different branches, maybe Los Chapitos and CDS are reassessing reassessing the government's um, commitment to capture Los Chapitos? I don't know. But I do find it interesting that there hasn't been a major pushback. Keep in mind, too, remember when Tony Montana was arrested, we said, you know, this is going to be interesting because CJNG has a reputation for retaliation. And their retaliations 
if any, have been minimal. So yeah, think about that. Um, interestingly enough, and, and some of this comes from an insight crime piece that I think is, is very good, but shortly before a video's arrest, sorry, the DEA had said that in 2022, 50.6 million, million fentanyl-laced fake prescription pills and over four and a half tons of fentanyl powder had been seized in the United States in 2022. And we know that the Sinaloa cartel and CJNG are responsible for the mass production of fentanyl. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they being CDS, um, and CJNG and La Familia Michoacana probably are the ones that are most responsible for fentanyl. That's not going to change as a result of a video's arrest, right? Um, it's highly unlikely that anything relating to that arrest in and of itself is going to change their actions with respect to fentanyl and things going forward. However, as we just noted, if there is a change in the commitment of the Mexican government, that and that alone could affect the CDS's ability to continue to manufacture and traffic fentanyl. Um, what's the CDS's future uh, it, it, now that we know this and, and we talked about this a little bit uh, remember too that right after this happened right after the arrest there were several people mostly on social media saying aha we have evidence now that El Mayo set him up that El Mayo said where he was El Mayo was talking to the Mexican government or you know people working for El Mayo, and there's going to be a huge split in CDS. Well, now Ms. Hernandez is saying, based on her, her sources, which, as I said, tend to be pretty good, that no, 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 El Mayo didn't say where he was. The DEA did. So going forward, we're still going to have a split, right? I mean, you still have that division in the CDS, but that further fracturing, that widening of the gulf between El Mayo's group and Los Chapitos may not widen as much or at all as we thought as a result of a video's arrest, right? If it was the DEA, not El Mayo, then you can't blame El Mayo, right? Um, clearly, clearly, CJNG and some others have an interest in how this all plays out. Any sign of weakness is going to be taken advantage of, whether that's in Zacatecas or Michoacan or in Sinaloa, for that matter. Right? So we want to watch that carefully. We want to look carefully at the expansion of territory by these other groups, if there is any. And particularly in Zacatecas, where there have been the battles between CJNG and CDS, we want to see, if we can, the degree to which the Los Chapitos and El Mayo factions of CDS are cooperating 
or at least coordinating in their efforts to hold back CJNG. But I think by far the most interesting aspect of this going forward is going to be what is the Mexican government's real interest? What's their real commitment going forward? And I want to read the last two paragraphs from this Insight Crime article because I think they say it perfectly and I don't, you know, I couldn't do it any better. They say, however, President Biden has come to Mexico to demand firm action be taken against the fentanyl trade. Buoyed by its success with Ovidio and pushed by the United States, the Mexican government may decide to continue a targeted campaign against the Chapitos. That could become the biggest threat the sons of El Chapo face. And I find that that's profound. That's well written. Um, But that's what this operation really stands for as we look forward, I think. Now, remember, we'd also talked that there was some talk that in areas such as uh, Ciudad Juarez or Nuevo Laredo, that the government may have decided that CDS was the lesser of all evils. And that if there were going to be cartels in Ciudad Juarez, it might as well be CDS. Obviously, no direct proof that that was the case, but that's what people thought. People surmised that. Does this, what we just talked about, does that change that? Or does it mean that not only have they decided, the Mexican government decided, that CDS is the lesser of all evils, but maybe El Mayo's faction is the lesser evil amongst CDS or within CDS, right? So I think that's going to be where we really want to look going forward. We really want to see how the Mexican government responds. Again, in the past, we've seen you know periods, it's that sine wave we've talked about before, up and down. Sometimes the government's aggressive, sometimes it's not. Was this a one-off to satisfy President Biden? Are there going to be more coming? That's what's going to be interesting. All right. Thank you for listening to that. As always, comments, criticisms, corrections, um, always welcome. Topics that you find particularly interesting, that you wish we would talk about, love to hear about it. Um, also, don't forget we've got the newsletter. has a lot of informa- interesting information in it. Check out the YouTube channel, please. Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. We do some really interesting things. We're able to show some things. Last week, we looked at some maps, looking at ports and entry points and distribution routes in Mexico. I thought it was really interesting. Um, so you know, check that out if you would like. Um, we're going to have a lot more kind of live stuff on there in the future, um, some videos and, and those sorts of things. And last but not least, please, if you're interested in this, if you think it's, it 
gives you anything. Um, check out my book, Someone Had to Die. It's on, on my website. Uh, it's on Amazon too. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's something that people who, who like this subject matter might actually enjoy. And with that bit of shameless self-promotion, I will bid you adieu for today. Thank you for listening. Come back next week. We won't repeat anything that we've done in the past next week, but I look forward to talking with you then. Thanks a lot and have a good day.